Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name is Russell Balicki, and I serve as one of the elders here at Delray Baptist Church. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, hopefully you picked up a handout on the way in. Our class this morning is on Christianity and science, and that outline will be a helpful way to follow through. Uh, if you didn't pick up a handout, you can, it's, on the, it's in the back there on that music stand. Uh, no, no doubt you've uh, heard statements before that you know, proclaim science's supposed triumph over religion. There's, there's a common one that comes from biologist Thomas Henry Huxley, who was known as Darwin's bulldog for his relentless defense of evolutionary theory. In 1860, he wrote, Extinguished theologians lie about the cradle of every science as strangled snakes beside that of Hercules. And history records that whenever science and orthodoxy, that's religion, have been fairly opposed, the latter, religion, has been forced to retire from the lists, bleeding and crushed, if not annihilated, scotched, if not slain. So on this view, scientific truth is portrayed as routinely overcoming religious truth leaving religion bloodied and dead any time the two come into conflict. Or here's another quote, something you might have heard along these lines, that faith is not in fact a rejection of reason, but simply a lazy acceptance of bad reasons. Faith is the pseudo-justification that some people trot out when they want to make claims without the necessary evidence. That's a professor of physics and, and math. So on this view, Christians are just intellectually lazy. Science is for the mature, the rigorous, the thoughtful. Faith is an excuse for the lazy. Now, these views are incorrect for reasons we're going to get into, but I do think it's important that we wrestle with these issues. Uh, we, need to, we need to understand where is it that we're ultimately putting our hope. As we think about what is science, what is faith, how do the two relate to each other, and where am I actually grounding myself? These are important questions for us to consider, not just theoretically in terms of how we might debate someone, but practically in terms of where are we actually grounding ourselves. Uh, so with that, I'm going to open us up in prayer, and let's get started. Uh, our Father in heaven, we know that you are the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Um, fear of you is the beginning of insight, and so we ask for you to guide our conversation this morning. Uh, I ask that uh, my words would be your words, that I would speak truthfully and, and rightfully about you and about what you've made in creation. Um, I pray that it would be an encouraging time for each of us, and not just a theoretical exploration, but something that's very practical and tangible that ultimately uh, strengthens our faith in you. Would you do that this morning? I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So let's, let's begin. What is science? Uh, science is essentially our attempt to understand ourselves and the world that we live in, uh, usually through observation and experimentation. So Merriam-Webster defines it as knowledge or a system of knowledge and general truths or the operation of general laws, especially as obtained and tested through the scientific method. And what's the scientific method? It's, it's basically the process of learning about an issue through trial and error, through experimentation and, and data gathering. We collect data through observations and experiments. We formulate a hypothesis based on that. Then we test the hypothesis, hypothesis through further uh, experiments and observations. And we then confirm, deny, or modify the original hypothesis. So scientific knowledge is a specific type of knowledge that relies on our senses. It's an empirical type of knowledge. There's lots of examples of what this could look like. 
So science can be discovering laws or theories, explaining the world. So you, know, you throw a baseball in the air, you know it's going to come down. There was a time in human history where we didn't really understand why that was. And through science, we figured out that massive objects attract other objects to themselves through a force that we call gravity. Uh, we've now learned that gravity isn't just applicable on, on this world, but applicable in space. And so actually, gravity is what keeps the planets in orbit around the sun. Uh, so these are examples of discovering laws that explain the world around us. Uh, science can be discovering characteristics and, and understanding what things are made out of. So, you know, water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. You, you can figure that out by, you know, putting water in the freezer or looking outside and figuring out where it freezes. It's observation, repeated observation allows you to arrive at a scientific conclusion. Or at the, at the molecular level, you see different elements making up different things. Two, two molecules of hydrogen and one of oxygen are what make up water, and then we learn about its different properties. Science can be explaining natural phenomena. So you shine light through a prism, and the different wavelengths produce a rainbow-like effect, right? Uh, we, we've learned that, that's, that light that looks white is actually made up of multiple different spec wavelengths and different colors of light. Uh, science can mean estimating the size or the strength of something. <clears throat> How strong is a tornado? How much oil is in a, is in a well? How much water is in a lake? Uh, we devise instruments to measure these things, and then we use the data that we gather. This is all part of science. Science can mean understanding how substances and chemicals interact with each other. So gasoline is combustible. I'm glad I was not the first person to learn that. <laughs> um, uh, you know, modern medicine, we have a headache, we take aspirin. This is, this is all part of the science. And finally, science can be extrapolating from principles that we see and know to make educated guesses about the past or about the future. So weather patterns, for example, can be modeled based on past experience to predict what's going to happen at some level in the future. DNA from a crime scene can be analyzed to try to figure out what happened, who was the culprit. And then obviously some scientists have attempted to take this further and actually attempted to use scientific inquiry to explain the origins of people, the earth, the universe, and we'll, we'll discuss that later. I could go on, but you get the gist that science is a broad category of, of empirical knowledge, um, and it's attempting at, at at the bottom to understand the world around us, and we can use that knowledge for practical purposes. And that leads to our next point, uh, which is that science is a gift from God. It's a tool that can be used for wonderful purposes. And I think it's really important that we, we know that Christians are not anti-science. I think there's some, sometimes a tendency, as in those early quotes that I read, to try to pit faith and reason against each other. Uh, to assume that Christians ignore, ignore scientific knowledge or should despise it. But no, God made science. He made the world and he gave us minds to understand it. And Christ, scripture doesn't shy away from science. It actually links the two pretty closely together. If someone could pull up Colossians 2.3. If someone could pull up Proverbs 1.7. Colossians 2, 3, Proverbs 1, 7. If you've got it, go ahead and read it. Yeah, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. As we approach God, we actually are enabled to then learn about the, the world that he's created. Colossians 2, 3. 
in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Yeah, so in, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We know that God created the world through Christ. And so as we approach Christ and, and become, yeah, as we, as we learn more about how God created the world, as we learn more about who God is, we actually are going to be fueled in our understanding of science and the, and the two are going to enforce each other. It's no accident that some of the greatest minds in science have been people who very much believed in God. Some of the first universities were founded out of a need to train pastors. Many of the world's foremost colleges and universities were founded originally as Christian schools. Modern science was developed by Christians. Um, early scientists believed that our universe was designed and created by God according to rules that could be discerned by rational creatures who were made in his image. And so empirical investigation enables us to understand those rules. Uh, and there's many ways that then that we can then take that and, and, use, and see that science is a gift to us. So the first is that science points us to a creator and reveals his character. It helps us to better understand, or as we better understand God's creation, it actually helps us to better understand God and who he is. Someone could read Psalm 19, 1 through 4. And then if someone could pull up Psalm 8, 3 through 4. And if someone could pull up Romans 1, 19 through 20. And let's start with Psalm 19, 1 through 4, if someone can pull that up. Yeah, so you know, some, some people might say, well, if God's there, why doesn't he reveal himself? Well, scripture says he has, look up, look up at night, look at the skies, look at the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. So I have personally been on a little bit of an astronomy kick recently. My wife said astrology. It is not astrology, not in the horoscopes. <laughs> astronomy, but just like getting to look up and you can get a telescope or even binoculars if you have good ones and you can actually see like the four moons circle, circling around Jupiter. You can see the rings of Saturn. It's up there, it's out there. We, we went way far west in Virginia, out of the lights, out of everything. We could see the Milky Way. We did it during the height of the most recent meteor shower. So we saw these uh, meteors streaking across the sky, like big fireballs, small ones. It was just amazing. And, and God intends for it to be that way. And then you're looking up there. We were, like, we were laying on blankets looking, at the, looking up at the sky. And then you start thinking about like, how far the stars are away from each other and how massive and amazing God is to have created it. Like a, one light year is like more than 5.9, call it 6 trillion miles. And the nearest star is more than four light years away is what they're estimating. The Milky Way galaxy, I'm told, I don't know this, I'm told is 100,000, something like that, light years across. I mean, it's staggering, and that's just our galaxy. That's not counting the billions of other ones that if you had a powerful enough telescope, you could look up into the sky and see. The heavens declare the glory of God. Um, and Psalm 8, 3 through 4. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Yeah. So as we look up at the at the universe 
and contemplate just how small we are in it. What is, what is man that God is mindful of us, that he's given us a place where we can live and, and interact and, and have relationships where we can, yeah, we're in, people made in his image and reflecting, experiencing that love. What is, what is man that God is mindful? So, it, so we see both the majesty of God and also the personal nature of God as we look around creation. Romans 1, 19 through 20. So this is what's called general revelation. So we've, we've talked about the skies as one aspect of general revelation where we can learn about God. Romans 1, 19 through 20 expands it to the things that have been made. So it's not just the skies, it's lots of stuff. And we'll, we'll I'm, start thinking now about ways that you have seen just God's handiwork around you. We'll, I'd love to just have a quick share time for that. Um, but real quick, uh, this is... Yeah, this is what we call general revelation, where we look around and we are able to discern characteristics and principles of God from the things that, that he's made. Uh, now, general revelation is not itself sufficient to have saving knowledge, right? Like the, the gospel is God's revealed world. And we're going to talk about the difference between special revelation and general revelation. Um, but, you know, you're not going to look at the sky and discern you know, I'm a sinner and in need of a savior, and Jesus is the son of God and came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross in my place, and by faith, uh, nothing, nothing that I can do in my works, um, but by faith in Christ, I can be raised with him as he was raised from the dead. Like, we're not gonna get that from general revelation. The gospel needs to go out to the nations, but we still can learn a lot about God and his character through general revelation. And so I, I mentioned, I, I wanted to have a quick share time. Like what are other aspects of creation, processes, things that you've seen that have helped you just to you know, worship God that you think would be edifying to share? The birth of a baby. Yeah. Birth of a baby, yep. Yeah, so Psalm 139 talks about God knitting children together in the womb. And then you see, I totally, so you see that the baby comes out and just naturally knows how to, you know, to cling to his or her mother, to, to nurse it at her breast. Like, it's just amazing that God does that, and it's through nothing that we do. God's intricately knit children together through the, uh, in the womb and then coming out of the womb. That's great, yeah. What's another example? I've had reason through recent medical things to get into genetics and how genes encode proteins to cell division and when you start diving into that world and realize tens of thousands of genes and proteins and all the just the, the complexity is just mind-boggling yeah even an individual cell yeah yeah um yeah the dna what god's what god's programmed into us um uh, individual cells as as engines and that have mechanical parts that are tiny yeah so you can look at the macro level you can look at the micro level and you see god's work that's great other examples the oceans. The oceans. The oceans. The oceans. 
The sunrise and sunset, the oceans, yep. You can put them together and that's pretty spectacular, huh? Sun, <laughs> sunset, sunrise over the ocean, yeah. yep. Anything else? Gardening, like just that in the foods we eat, you can take this tiny seed and then mm -hmm. you have this six foot tall tomato plant. Yeah. And, and then you have tomatoes that have seeds in it to go yeah. through the whole thing all over again. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's edible. Yep. Yep. There's so much that's edible. And it tastes good. We have yeah. taste buds. Like, where does that come from? Like, yeah, yep. Yeah. To, like thunder and lightning storms mm. just to see God's power. Think of the God of glory thunders and just that sense of. That's awesome. It's when you hear a rolling yep. peal of thunder. It's, and it just it happens so regularly, thunderstorms. And, you're, and you think, like, all of the power that it would take for us to try to reproduce that, we could never do it. It's just to get to see all the electricity, all the lightning, the noise. Like, God does it on a regular basis. We have no ability as, as humans to come even close to replicating it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's great. I mean, these we could go on, um, and I and you know just uh, one one little plug, like particularly for you know, it's good for us to meditate on it, and it's also a really good way to teach kids about God. Like, it's just to in everyday life be able to point out the things that God has made and to say what does that teach us about God. It's a it's a good way to to uh, instruct young hearts and minds as well, and all of that, of course, is designed to get us to do what. To worship, right? Like that is the appropriate response as we see the things that God has made. It's just to like praise God. And that was certainly my experience being out in the middle of nowhere in Virginia, just looking up at the stars like, wow. Okay. Anyway. Um, all right. So that's so that's one of the reasons science is a good gift. There's others. Science enables us to make useful and beautiful things that Im improve our living conditions, like technological advances. Uh, can be used to make things that honor the Lord. In, in Exodus 31, God gave a particular man ability and intelligence and knowledge and craftsmanship to actually be able to, to um, yeah, it says work in gold, silver, bronze, cutting stones for setting and carving wood to work in, in every craft. And why? It was to glorify God through the building of the tabernacle. Um, and that's certainly, you know, a way that either through construction, through art, we can, we can glorify God, and we, we do that through scientific knowledge. Uh, and certainly things like air conditioning, praise God for science that has allowed us to have air conditioning. Cars, refrigerators, coffee mugs, uh, cell phones. Hearing yeah. aids. Hearing aids, yes. Um, Every morning, what about the these hearing aids in, I thank God. Yeah, <laughs> yep, amen. Um, and that, that is another, yeah, it enables us to, to identify problems and find solutions. So it can be technological, it can be medical. Uh, even in the, in the curse in the garden, God was gracious in providing the, the man and the woman a covering. Uh, and we continue to see ways in which God has provided for people, even in a fallen world. Um, yeah, I, I think I referenced in, on the handout the passage in, uh, for Timothy about take a little wine for your stomach, like that God's given us substances for, for medicine, right? To be able to help ailments, even in a fallen world. That's, and we discover that through science. Um, science enables us to better fulfill our creation mandate of exercising dominion over the earth and stewarding it. Uh, we, see, we see in Genesis chapter one and chapter two that Man is put on earth for a specific reason, um, to tend the garden, to exercise dominion over it and subdue it, to fill, to fill the earth and multiply. 
Um, and within that is a, is a responsibility of, you know, it's not exploitation, it's stewarding and responsibility. And science enables us both to know where there are opportunities to, for example, build a city, to, you know, to be fruitful and multiply, to find food, but also how to conserve what God's given us for future generations as well. And so I, I think that's a really important part of, of science and of our call as, as believers is to steward the resources God has given us in accordance with the mandate that he's put on us as people. Uh, <coughs> uh, science, science, and this one I love, science highlights the miracles and the supernatural works of God. Basically, we know what to expect and so we can see when God has intervened, right? It sort of serves as the stage in the background for God to do his miraculous work. Uh, the Bible is full of examples. You've got the plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, manna from heaven, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, sight to the blind, like John 9.32 says, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. That was God's work. Healing the lame, feeding the 5,000, and then ultimately, of course, the resurrection of, of Christ, which is what our, our hope hinges on, and we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but we know because of science that these are not natural events. They're supernatural, and God uses them to attest to his work. So Acts 2.22 says that Jesus was attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Then in the early church, he's doing the same thing. Acts 5.12 says, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, again attesting that the work they were doing was from the Lord. Uh, Hebrews 2.4 says God bore witness to his message again by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And, and these miracles are not just historical. God is still working. And I'm sure that like, if we opened up the floor, many people would have testimonies of ways in which God intervened supernaturally in, in a medical diagnosis or, or in someone's life and something else where we just know like this is... Like, I know how the world works, and this isn't it. This is, this is God supernaturally acting. Uh, and we, we've seen God answer prayers here at this church recently. I mean, I mean it happens all the time. And I know, uh, yeah. It's, and so, yeah, science then is a gift that allows us to understand God, his world, and his character better. Is there anything else, either you can share an example of, of something where God did move miraculously. Is there anything else that you think I've missed just in understanding why, how science is a gift? Anything that would be helpful to, dis to discuss? Great. Um, well, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, um, uh, you know, a, a technology can be used for good or bad, and, um, and, and for me, I would be able to live as independent as I do without my iPhone. I mean, I do, uh, uh, I, I, I stay in contact with people, I do my, uh, order my groceries online, I call an Uber, I call, you know, uh, yeah. uh, and so, again, Every time I use it, you know, I think, you know, uh, God has put me in this place and time yeah. so that I can, you know, uh, uh, use this technology. So, uh, and I just pray that uh, people keep using technology for good yeah. instead of evil. Yeah, praise, praise God, that's true. And that, that's actually a great segue into our next section, which is science, science can be a good gift from God. Science also has limitations, and like any good gift from God can be twisted and manipulated in bad ways. Uh, so let's, with that, let's, let's dive in. 
scientific truth has limits. So biblically speaking, science would be what, what scripture would call a form of worldly wisdom. It's like 1 Corinthians 2.5 refers to the wisdom of men. Uh, verse 6, the wisdom of this age. Uh, 2.13 to human wisdom. Science would fit into that category. Uh, and that's because science, again, is empirical. Uh, we rely on our senses and our own work to obtain and interpret data. And as fallen and finite beings, we're bound to find ways to mess that up um, and to make pronouncements that are mistaken or, or worse, misleading. Uh, and so that doesn't make scientific knowledge worthless. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, that we despise it for that reason, but it does make it not ultimate. Uh, and we talked a bit about general and, spe and special revelation or specific re revelation. And scripture teaches, history confirms, God's words are sure and trustworthy. And it's, it's important that we start there as we think about the limits of, of scientific truth. So Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. 1 Peter 1, 24 through 25 says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of, of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what we take from this is God intends for his word to anchor us. Hebrews 6.19 calls his promises a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And so scientific truth is helpful. We learn about God and his creation, but it is not the ultimate, the bedrock, the anchor type of truth. We, we interpret scientific truth from a posture of starting with scripture and what we know to be God's special and specific revelation. Uh, and so scientific truths, while valuable, are inherently incomplete, and this is true in several ways. First is, there are questions that science, you know, on its own terms, doesn't intend to answer and can't answer persuasively. Um, so, like, for example, naturalistic science can't supply a moral foundation. Uh, to declare that murder or that anything else is wrong is, is to act as an image bearer of God and to recognize the image of God in someone else. It's a profoundly moral statement. Uh, it's not a scientific statement. Now, God has written his law on our heart, and so we all can recognize, I can say that to this room without knowing your background because we all come with, with natural law that's actually built into us, where God's given us consciences to see that. My point is that if, if all that were in this universe were naturalistic processes, we would have no basis for what I just said. We have no basis for a system of morality or for declaring things right or wrong because we'd all be products of random chance. And who's to say that killing another product of random chance is, is wrong? And so science is going to be limited in its ability to provide moral, uh, moral statements. Uh, naturalistic science cannot identify a purpose for life. So one of, the, one of the dangers of looking up at the stars and the heavens and realizing how big it is is just to feel completely overwhelmed and insignificant. Um, but we know that God has placed us here for a reason and that God has made us to glorify himself and to enjoy him forever. Science is not going to provide that answer on its own. Um, you know, again, if we were all products of random chance, we're, who knows why we're here? There's, it's, it's a very bleak uh, prospect. Yeah, did you? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think one way that 
says is that science tries to get at the how. Yeah. How does our universe work? But it can't answer why. Why? Yeah. Why is it here? Why are you and I here? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the foundational problem. We need God's revelation. Yeah. Yep. Really exactly. Yeah. The how versus the why is a really good way to put that. Uh, here's one. Science can't explain why there is something rather than nothing. Uh, I have never heard a persuasive scientific argument for why the universe or anything exists. Like something under natural circumstances, something does not come out of nothing. Scripture provides that. Science can't explain the fine-tuning of the universe. The, the more we learn about the universe, the more, the, the more amazing it is that we're here at all. Like, there are parameters that must be set to an amazingly minute degree of specificity, multiple of them for life as we know it to exist anywhere in the universe, let alone here on this, on this planet. Uh, now, sci I've heard scientists object to this point and say something to the effect of, oh, but of course, you know, everything's fine-tuned. If the universe weren't fine-tuned, you know, we wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be having this conversation. I would just say, like, you decide for yourself whether that's a persuasive answer. I, I find it completely, yeah, I, I find it completely unpersuasive. Like, when you look at how things, if, if this were natural, if this were completely a product of random chance, and you look at how fine-tuned things are, even at the ability to have this conversation, but that we're here, that, that the universe is the way it is and that it, it leads us naturally to praise God and to, and to learn about him. I just don't, I don't find the, what that, that's called the anthropic response. Like, I just don't find that persuasive. Science doesn't supply, in my view, an adequate answer for why life exists. Uh, more generally, science can't answer non-scientific questions. So science is a tool that we can use to inform decisions about risks we're willing to take, policies we want to implement, whatever it may be. It's not the only input. We're not robots that are controlled by scientific probabilities. So for example, science can tell us how hot a burning building is. It can tell us maybe how the fire started, when the building is going to fall. But it can't fully explain why a firefighter might rush in to go save someone who's in there against the odds. Right? Science, science provides us a particular type of truth that is useful, that we can act on. But it's not the only or even the most important type of truth. Scientific theories are changing as we learn. So this is the next point. Scientific theories are, are changing as we learn more and we ask more and different questions. So science is by its nature a tentative enterprise. Uh, it, scientific theories change over time as new discoveries are made. Uh, we continue testing hypotheses and some of them come up short. And we change them. Uh, for example, there is a time not too long ago when many scientists adhered to what's called the steady state theory of the universe. They thought it was infinite in time, infinite in space, and that it was essentially unchanging. Uh, in 1965, a pair of physicists discovered that the Earth is bathed in a radiation that they concluded could only be explained if the universe had a definite beginning in time. This was a huge discovery. I'm going to quote now from a 1978 article in the New York Times by an agnostic astronomer who was marveling at the discovery and also being honest about its impact on the scientific community. And this is what he said. The essence of the strange developments is that the universe had, in some sense, a beginning, that it began at a certain moment in time and under circumstances that seemed to make it impossible, not just now, but ever, to find out what force or forces brought the world into being at that moment. 
He says that in the searing heat of that first moment, all the evidence needed for scientific study of the cause of the great explosion was melted down and destroyed. And he concludes, the scientist's pursuit of the past ends in the moment of creation. This is an exceedingly strange development, unexpected by all but the theologians. They have always accepted the word of the Bible. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And we'd like to pursue that inquiry further back in time, but the barrier to progress seems insurmountable. It is not a matter of another year, another decade of work, another measurement, or another theory. At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. And as he pulls himself over the rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> God's word again stands forever. God has proven trustworthy and true. And this illustrates why we want to be really careful to properly interpret God's word revealed in scripture, not to casually elevate the prevailing scientific theories of the day to biblical status. Uh, even the Big Bang Theory, which is what was just being discussed, is, you know, that may be discarded in favor of a new theory in the future. We don't put our hope in that, in that New York Times article. As Christians, we hold to what God teaches in his word. Uh, the danger of elevating scientific truth to biblical status is illustrated in the, in the Copernican revelation, Galileo discovering that the earth actually rotates around the sun. It had been thought for a long time based on Aristotle that it was the opposite, that the sun rotated around the earth and that the earth was essentially the center of the universe. It had been thought that for so long that people had started to take that view and, and essentially gloss it on to scripture. So, you know, when Psalm 104.5 says that the earth, that God set the earth on its foundations, that it should never be moved, they didn't view that merely to a reference as his act in creating and establishing the earth. They viewed it as a biblical endorsement of the prevailing scientific theory at the time. When a further study revealed that the universe was not rotating around the earth, people had a really hard time accepting that to be true. They, they thought wrongly that science and the Bible were in opposition to each other. That was because of a misinterpretation of scripture. And Galileo's view was condemned by the Catholic Church as unbiblical. And when in reality, the problem was the opposite. The Catholic Church had attached an incorrect scientific theory to the Bible and produced an incorrect reading of it. Uh, so we just wanna, we wanna bear in mind that the prevailing scientific theories of the day are not ultimate truth. God's word is ultimate truth. And we wanna be really careful about how we interpret God's word that we're not bringing in outside ideas and that we're, we're rooting ourselves in scripture. Uh, next point, science is performed by fallen people in a fallen world. Uh, they may be impacted by culture, politics, prejudices, just as anyone else. Uh, this I think is important because there are scientists who like to portray themselves as kind of the neutral arbiters of ultimate truth. That isn't always so. Uh, in that New York Times article I read, uh, I'm not gonna read further out of it, but the, the author talked about what he called the peculiar reaction of his colleagues that essentially, uh, he says, I, I am going to read this quote because I think it's actually helpful. Um, it, it turns out that the scientist behaves the way the rest of us do when our beliefs are in conflict with the evidence. We become irritated, we pretend the conflict does not exist, or we paper it over with meaningless phrases. So this isn't to single out scientists, you know, we're all, we all have the same tendencies. Uh, but it is just to point out that we're all sinners, scientists included. Um, we are all subject to blind spots 
And so we just we want to keep that in mind because if someone kind of comes across with a particular theory, particularly if it happens to align with their political views, like may attempt to shut down the, the, the discussion, say, well, science, as if that's kind of going to resolve it. Um, yeah, science is empirical, and when it's done well, it gives us facts about the world that God's made. Uh, we have to interpret those facts, though, and we as people have a tendency to kind of interpret things the way we like it. So Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. So we are by nature truth suppressors, and that's going to be true of, of scientific claims that we hear as well. Uh, I think this is helpfully illustrated by the eugenics movement of the late 1800s and, and into the 1900s. Uh, the theory of evolution was gaining traction. There were people who read their own racial and socioeconomic prejudices into that theory. Uh, they used incredibly dubious, that we, now that we look back on it, uh, you know, purportedly scientific methods to argue that white people were inherently and scientifically provably superior to people of other races and to argue that unfit people of any race were a, a drag on society and if permitted to reproduce would genetically pass along those traits to make their, their, their children a drag on society. And, and just to be clear, this wasn't a fringe theory. Like this, leaders in eugenics movement had prominent positions at Ivy League schools uh, this was accepted in across America. It was taught, I think it was three, more than 300 classes were taught that covered eugenics. Harvard published a textbook on it. Like it was, it was accepted scientific theory. And you know, it had political implications, maybe political motivations, I'm not sure. But you'll eventually see you know, anti-miscegenation laws. You'll see restrictive immigration laws and, and forced sterilizations of supposedly feeble-minded people which is just as subjective as it sounds. Uh, and so by 1931, 28 of the nation's 48 states had adopted eugenic sterilization laws, and more than 60,000 people ended up being involuntarily sterilized in the 1900s. Uh, so all of this is bunk science, and it, and it became evident as scientific knowledge advanced, but at the time, this wasn't, this wasn't a fringe thing. This was what was accepted. And so I don't want to take this too far. Like again, Christians are not anti-science. Many scientists work hard to check their biases to make sure that things are reported accurately and honestly. I just, I just mentioned this in the spirit of Ephesians 4, 5, 14 through 15, where he warns against being tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Um, rather than being tossed, we're, we're called to speak the truth in love and to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And so recognizing that scientists are people too gives us just an appropriate sense of, of realism. I don't want to, not skepticism in, a, in an unhealthy way, but appropriate skepticism of just being able to process the information and, and take it and, yeah, and use it in a way that glorifies God ultimately. Uh, I want to make sure we have enough time to get to the end here, so I'm going to work quickly through these next couple points. Um, science has scientific limitations. You can look into this. It's amazing. Like there, I mentioned one of them in the article that like they couldn't. There's a point where they couldn't peer past, you know, 
the, the Big Bang. Like they couldn't figure out exactly what happened. It was God that did it. We know that from scripture. Scientifically, they just like couldn't actually figure out what happened because tool, their tools didn't work. That's true in lots of different realms, like at the micro and at the macro level. I'm not gonna get into the details, but there are just limits to scientific inquiry. Um, the other point that Danny mentioned that science can be used for, for evil ends. Good science can be used for evil ends. So this is different than bad science. This is, we learn sound principles and then we take them and we destroy other people who are made in God's image. Uh, you can think about weapons. You can also think about like pills designed to kill unborn children, um, poisons, like murder. It's just, science is not an unalloyed good and so we want to recognize that. Uh, and then finally, science does not account for the supernatural. This is important. Again, science is empirical. It's intended to be verifiable empirically and naturally. Uh, and so it's, a, it's appropriate to emphasize here that the inability to account for the supernatural is just a major limitation on scientific knowledge because we serve a God who's not limited by the laws that he created. He is transcendent. He established them. So Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. God is not bound by the rules that he set in place here. And as Christians, our entire hope is staked on that. Uh, there's, there's one miracle in particular that, that Paul says, like, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. That is a, an essential component of the gospel that that Jesus was supernaturally, he was dead for three days, he rose from the dead, and our hope, if we're going to be raised, is that he was, he was raised. And Paul proves it, he doesn't just leave it there. He's like, he's, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He's like, ask Peter, Ask James, ask the apostles, ask me, ask any of those 500 dudes who are there if they're still alive. You know, this happened. Our faith is staked on the supernatural resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is the first fruits of those who are going to be raised from the dead. When we put our faith in, in Christ, like we serve a risen Lord, and that is the basis for our hope. Uh, that is a supernatural belief. There's no scientific explanation for Jesus rising from the dead. Uh, and, and yeah, I just want to make sure that we recognize that science is inherently limited in that regard. And it isn't, that's not, it doesn't, again, mean that science is useless. It means that we need to see it as appropriately limited. Any questions on that before we, we come to our last point, which I want to make sure we have some time to meditate on? I was yeah. thinking that last thing, I was thinking of Jesus and Nicodemus when he talks about you must be born again, that hmm. our spiritual, it's,
And I just wonder how you help Christians respond in situations like that. Like, how can we be faithful to engage people well? Yeah, that's a good. That's a good question. I thought about mentioning the yard signs. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, we're we're tracking. Um, yeah. So it, I think. You know, if you take the yard sign at face value, science is real. Like we can certainly embrace that. Like there's no, there's no dispute there. I think what's what actually is is getting is like, you disagree with my, with my view of a particular issue, whatever that might be, um, and as a result, you know, we can't have that interaction. And so I think, as in anything, speaking to someone with with gentleness, patience, being able to give an answer, we may very well. I, I, first of all, again, I, Christians are not anti-science, so it very well may be that you fully agree with them, and they have, an, they have an, just an incorrect view of even what Christians believe, and so being able to speak to that carefully and, and gently. But it also may be that just as a result of your own scientific inquiry, you actually do disagree on something, um, something significant like the efficacy of masks in COVID-19 or something, as, as one example. Um, being able to hold those convictions, whatever that might be, uh, in a way that's that's loving, that articulates, and that doesn't detract from the gospel, I think is is really important. Uh, and yeah, different people on that you're interacting with are going to have different um, yeah tolerances for disagreement. I think all we can do is is show love and in, in on our side and in our interactions. And I think most people, you know, if you're having an honest interaction, that's that's measured and you're not, you're not kind of the one that's initiating, most people will be able to, to hear that and it can actually be a, an opportunity for a gospel conversation. So yeah, that's, that's helpful, thanks. Does, it, does that kind of speak to what you're, okay, yeah. cool. Um, yeah, so last, last point would be uh, that science does not destroy faith. Uh, so let's, let's, this is kind of where I want to, you know, we've, we've talked kind of heady about science and its limits and what it's, what, how it's good, how it's bad. What, let's turn to application. Like, ho so hopefully it's, feel, it's clear that you know, science does not destroy our, our faith. Faith ought to spur us to scientific knowledge so we can learn about God's universe. Uh, and we don't need to make science carry a burden that it was never intended to carry. Like we have God's word as special revelation we have general revelation in the world that God's made. We can take those two and they can inform and, and help each other. Um, science ought to help us marvel in particular at the amazing gracious God that we serve uh, who adopts those who believe on his son as his own children. Um, so that's how science and faith are supposed to interact. Uh, but what do we do if science seems to contradict the Bible? I think first ask, is it really a contradiction? It's, it's important to make sure that we understand if it, if it is or if it isn't. Make sure you're properly interpreting script, scripture and that the science at issue really purports to be in opposition to scripture. Uh, so we already talked about how Galileo's work resulted in a shift in thinking about the universe. Actually, it wasn't inconsistent with scripture. People were misinterpreting it. Uh, the same would, would be true if someone were to say that Galileo disproves the, the part in, in Joshua where God makes the sun stand still during battle. Like someone, someone might say, oh, that can't be right. It suggests the earth is, you know, at the center and the sun is going around. Well, no, like the Bible's speaking in terms of our human vantage point. Like we don't know exactly how God supernaturally did that. He is God. Like did he stop the spin of the earth? Maybe like he could. He just like, like stop it, you know. Uh, so the point is that there's no inconsistency there between science and between scripture. That's a, it's a, 
erroneously literalistic reading of that passage. The other thing we want to keep in mind is that understanding how God does something doesn't mean that he didn't do it and doesn't undermine its significance. So you take a rainbow, for example, in Genesis 9, that it says God set his bow in the sky and that uh, it's, a, it's a covenant with, with mankind that he's not going to flood the entire earth again and destroy all flesh. That's significant. It's awesome. And we still get to see the rainbow. It does not undermine that to say, well, the way that God made the rainbow is that the light ref refracts through you know, water droplets. And actually, it's not a bow. It's a full circle. But the ground blocks the bottom part. So you can only see the top part. So it's not really a bow. But that's not inconsistent with scripture. That's just explaining the amazing thing that God did that we sometimes get to see and the reminder that he's given us of his faithfulness and his grace. So that's not that someone who's saying, oh, you're you know, your faith is inconsistent with what we know about science. It's just they're misunderstanding, yeah, what the relationship is there. Uh, we also want to just make sure that whatever claim there is, that if they're saying a contradiction exists, make sure the scientific claim is scientific, or if this is someone kind of dressing up a, an opinion in the garb of, of science and sort of trying to shut down debate. Um, but if if there is an inconsistency, and we'll talk about this in just a second, like I think the second point is just to, to trust the Lord and to keep in mind the limits of science. So it is true that a purely naturalistic version of, of the evolution of humanity, a purely naturalistic version of the origins of the universe or of the earth is inconsistent with scripture. The Bible is clear that God created the heavens, the earth and humanity, that Adam and Eve were our first parents, that death entered the world through their sin, and that we share their fallen nature. It's also clear that even though death reigned in humanity through that original sin, we can receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness and reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So just as Adam was, was the head of our fallen humanity, Christ through faith is, is that, yeah, our hope in, in resurrection and for eternity. Naturalistic explanations of, the, of origins, the universe, the earth, people, are inconsistent with those teachings of the Bible, and that's why Christians reject them and have historically rejected them. This is no surprise to God, and it shouldn't bother us. We're, we're called to have faith in the eternal truths of the Word of God. Uh, I've already read Hebrews 11.3, that by faith we understand the universe was created by the Word of God. Once we get there, once we accept Gen you know, Genesis' claim that God created the world, the rest of, of the miracles, the rest of, of the difficulties like, should be easy. We don't need to understand the details to know what, to affirm what scripture says is true. And God isn't surprised that humans are going to mess this up. Romans 1, 21 through 23 says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 1 Corinthians 1.20 says, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 1 Corinthians 3.19, The wisdom of this world is folly with God. There's a, there's a section, three cha four chapter section of Job that God is sort of responding to the impudence of man. It begins with, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? 
Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on earth? We as, as, as humans, we, when we try to kind of impose ourselves above God, like that, they were doing exactly what Romans says, like claiming to be wise, we become fools. And so we want to sit in submission to scripture and what it says, affirm it is true and be rock solid there, knowing that different theories and different things are going to come and go as they have in the past, but that the word of the Lord stands forever. Uh, it's, it's also maybe helpful to know that, you know, we, we as humans have the ability to explain away even the most obvious evidence uh, from the Lord. So Luke 16, 31, like there's a, it's a story where like someone says like, well, couldn't, couldn't my brother who, who died go and, and or, or the, the, man, the man's in, in hell and is like, well, send, let, at least like, let's go tell my brother. So like, this doesn't happen to him. And the response is, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead, which is prescient because Jesus did rise from the dead and people still are not convinced. Uh, and yeah, so I, I, I think it's just helpful to remember that the fact that we sometimes feel on the defensive when it comes to scientific advances is not unanticipated, doesn't surprise God. And this is why it's important that we wrestle through these questions and that we ground our faith firmly in what scripture teaches. Um, I think it's also just helpful to distinguish origin theories from presently observed phenomena. Like this is not the same thing as water freezes at 32 degrees, something that you can repeat and go do anytime. Um, some scientific truths are, are well supported. Uh, you know, like for example, the periodic cicadas that just came around, like they predicted that was gonna happen. You can predict based on the past, it's probably gonna happen again in 17 years. When we're talking about origins, and particularly when we're talking about origins without a category for supernatural, like we're, we're in pure speculation land. Like the, we can try to draw conclusions, we can try to draw inferences. I don't wanna say it's completely, you know, unscientific, but this is not the same thing as, as a law or something that's observable. This is, this is inference upon inference upon inference upon inference. And there's no reason for us to feel like we have to, to you know, change our views to align with that as opposed to affirming what, God, what God's word says when he has always been faithful, he's always been right and true. Ultimately, we don't want to back into biblical positions based on fear of the latest science. What I mean by that is there's nothing wrong with learning about science. There's, nothing, there's, there's different views about exactly how God went about the work of creating the world, of creating people. But we, and I, I frankly find some of them less persuasive than others. What I would, what I would say as you, as you think through those issues is start first with scripture. Start first with what God's word says. What, what does it seem like he's, he's teaching? Form a conviction there. If, if, if you feel like there's equally good reasons and science helps you move one way or the other in, in sort of interpreting something, then fine. But I would encourage us not to misinterpret scripture because we feel like we're kind of backing away from some the latest scientific thing. That's not the posture we want to be in when it comes to God's word. Again, his word will stand forever. His word is, is faithful. It's, it's, and I think I said this earlier, I just wanna say it again. It's helpful to remember that we don't need to know the details of God's work to believe that he did it. He is God, he is supernatural. He can do things that are not going to be explainable by natural phenomenon. 
Uh, and so there's, I don't think we need to feel worried if we don't have the answer to every single question about how exactly something happened. Again, where were, God says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? That we were not there. Um, and we can have faith that what he says is, is true. So uh, in conclusion, uh, science rightly understood is a gift from the Lord. And so my last point of application is just to be a student of science for the glory of God, like in whatever way he moves you to do that. By a telescope, by a microscope, go borrow a book, watch a, watch a documentary, whatever it is, like go learn about God and his world and, and praise him in it. Uh, take a trip, you know, go hiking, go scuba diving. Like there's everywhere you look, God's fingerprints are everywhere. Um, and and yeah, science is a wonderful opportunity for us to get to experience the creativity, the, yeah, the amazingness, the, the majesty of our God. So I'm going to stop there. Are there questions? If there's any questions or comments, happy to take those before we wrap up. Yeah. I was just struck as you were reading from 1 Corinthians 15. I think I find myself very often um, pr pressured from, from within is that if I could just give that good answer to that yard sign mm -hmm. or whatever, and yeah. just, that's, that's going to fix it all. Mm -hmm. and, and Peter, Paul says, I delivered to to you as of first importance mm -hmm. what's going to save them is the gospel yeah. not our answer to their yard sign and yep. how much better if I would just let that go mm -hmm. I've got the re a reverse FOMO yeah. if they don't hear my good answer to that particular yard sign oh it's all is lost and they're not going to get it instead of just going yeah yeah, it's complicated times isn't it hey how's your wife yeah. I know she was sick yeah. get into her life and talk mm -hmm. to her talking about things that really matter to them mm -hmm. and God obviously yeah yep. that's really good yeah. I just like Hebrews 11.3 that you have here because it, you know, it says by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. And so at the end of the day, science can't give us science will not be the key to, to understanding God. It's faith. Yep. Ultimately it's faith. And that's yep. why God's word has to be the foundation and not to be, I feel like I work around very smart people, very scientific people, some of those brilliant minds and sometimes you can feel intimidated like mm -hmm. oh I, I can't answer these their questions or they're gonna it's like that's not the ultimate reality yep. the reality is, is what god has said and yep. yeah stand on it yep that's right I see, I see we're at time, so I'm going to wrap up. Happy to, happy to talk afterward, too. Um, and, and I think this is a good to topic of conversation among uh, other members as well. So let me, let me pray for us, and we'll finish. Father, we thank you. Your fingerprints are everywhere. And we see the glory of the skies that you created. We look uh, very small through a microscope. We see the intricacy of your work. Um, at a molecular level, at a cellular level. Um, Lord, we praise you because we are fearfully and, and wonderfully made in your image and your handiwork is everywhere. You are truly majestic and we can't comprehend, but we can just come before you and thinking about some of the things that we've talked about and just say, you are amazing, you are worthy of praise and you are worthy of our faith and you are worthy of our confidence. And so we ask that you would uh, strengthen us and equip us to be bold in proclaiming the gospel and not to be you know, backpedaling away from the latest theory or fad, Lord, but that we would uh, proclaim what is, what is truth. Um, we would rest on your word and that we would proclaim the gospel faithfully to the people that you have put in our circles. Thank you for this time that we could study your word. In Jesus' name, amen.